it's funny because I was in such a dark place that day. I was having a nightmare and I was standing outside an office building somewhere near the Hapney Bridge, got the call and instantly I rang my mom and the two of us just cried and it was just, I just knew that that was the opportunity that I needed for a fresh start. Welcome to Girls With Goals. My name is Neve Marr. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 134. It's definitely up there in the hundreds anyway. I'm starting to lose count, but I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to welcome my guest, not to studio, but from her house to your ear holes. That's such a weird thing to say. I'm so sorry for saying that. Associate social media editor with British Vogue, Neve O'Donoghue joins me. Neve, it's so nice to have you on the show. How are you? so nice to speak to another Neve. Ah. <laughs> I have to say, when you changed your social media there recently <laughs> to uh, Neve, not Neve. Now, a few people do listen to this in the UK, so I just need you, before we get into it, just explain the struggles okay. of the Neve name. Exactly, a little backstory. So I, I moved over to the UK just, um, just nearly a year ago now, and by God, I just was not expecting the difficulty in pronouncing Irish names. Like, I just thought, like, over here, Neve is just, you know, it's just Neve. But there, there's a really big problem in the UK with the name Neve. So um, most of the times I get um, Niamha or Neem or, uh, yeah, just some kind of weird iteration. So, um yeah, just as a little a little push and a little guidance for people, I've just put it up on social that it's actually Neve, not Neem. I think it's so fun, though. I always feel so exotic because, I mean, like <laughs> when I was growing up in my primary school, no joke, there was about five Neves. It was a very popular name back Same. in the late 80s. And so I grew up surrounded by Neves. And then when, when I got older and started to do a bit of traveling, I always felt super exotic for having the most Irish name ever. The most, the most Irish name and the palest skin yeah. and the bluest eyes, all of that. Yeah, it's it's been quite actually a culture shock uh, living over there yeah. because only when I got over there did I realise how little um, British people actually know about Ireland as a general topic. Um, but it's also not something that they're taught or learnt about in their curriculum in school. So for the first couple of weeks, I was like quite angry with people for like oh god I can't believe you don't know where Ireland is on the map or like I, I'd be out in the pub getting to know people because I moved over on my own and I I literally knew nobody and I'd be like you know chatting away to people and they'd be like oh do you go home on the weekend and I'm like oh no I, do, I don't fly home and they're like do you not get the train I was like no what do you mean they're like is there not a tunnel between the UK and Ireland and oh god love them no but it's it's understandable because they just they don't learn about it so um it is quite funny after yeah. a while <laughs> after a while that's it and it's good that you're like I think it's a good learning moment to always you know correct and just say well there's definitely not a train that I can get home but uh well you've kind of told us there about being in London but I do want to go back um and kind of talk about a little bit more to do with your career uh leading up to that so for people who don't know your background and for people who wouldn't follow you on social media because I've been following you on social media for a good few years now so I've been following your career but I suppose I want to go all the way back and I always love 
asking people that I interview in particular women that are kind of in my own industry what they wanted to be when they were a kid because I feel like it gives a lovely bit of insight into sometimes what they've become and I I also love it when it's just something completely different as well like nothing to do with that. So for anyone who doesn't know me or follow me yet um, I'm a journalist first and foremost and a storyteller Um, and I'm really passionate about listening to other people and being able to tell their story on a on a different medium and 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 bring bring different voices to life like that's what I'm really really passionate about um I guess um I had quite a turbulent um time from my very younger life up until my teens and then eventually into into my adult life now and it's funny because you say like career because like I'm I'm turning 27 soon and I just don't think I have a career. I, I genuinely feel like I'm at a dead end and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? What are my options? So it's it's quite uplifting to see from maybe a different perspective that, oh, maybe I do have a career. Maybe I can make a living out of this. So that's quite nice. Um, but journalism was never on my radar. Um, no, it, it was. It wasn't something that I that I even considered as a career. I wanted to be a doctor. Really, I, I was a little Miss Know It All when I was younger, and I am the baby of three brothers. So I'm the little madam, and I'm always right, and I'm the boss. And so I just had this. Well, I've I've always like loved the idea of like helping and caring people. Um, so it was a really big toss up between wanting to become a doctor and wanting to become a vet. Um, but unfortunately that just didn't go as planned for me. I mean, I loved school and if I could go back for a week, for a month, I absolutely would. I went to the Dominicans in, um, in Cabra and when I say I just loved every second of it, um, but school wasn't as kind to me as I was to it. And, um, I missed out on a huge amount of, of school when I was, when I was younger, I'd say about, I probably must have missed two and a half maybe two years in total in and out of school um yeah I I've I have a very long and dramatic history with my health and um I was in and out of of hospitals my entire teen life and so school really took the back foot for a while and naturally you you fall behind and I can't I can't help but think about all the kids who might need that extra support right now who will have to try and play catch up when they eventually do go back into school and what that might mean for their long-term plan mm-hmm. um similar like I had amazing support and like teachers used to come and visit me at home and like bring me school books and stuff it was amazing so I was really determined. I sat my hate pat. I, I did all the pre-medical stuff. Look, I was never going to get the points in the leaving. And I think my parents just entertained the idea because there was a point where I was so sick that um, they thought about taking me out of school and making me reset the leaving a following year. And it was actually the doctors were like, she needs something to keep her motivated. And I needed that as well. So it's like, just let me get through it. And I, I think when I was doing my leaving cert, I was so sick that I was having epidural injections in my spine every couple of weeks just to keep the pain at bay. I was on codeine and diphene and you name it. I was like a zombie. And that it's it's funny because when I try and think back to that particular time in my life, it's almost like my brain has like blocked out from all the from the shit show that I went through, to be honest. Yeah. Um but the leaving cert actually strangely, even though I still have nightmares of like you know, being naked in a large hall, um, it actually really like pulled me through one of like 
at that time in my life would have been one of the darker points. Yeah. Um, so I came out of the leaving cert and I remember the day I got my results and I was like, oh, I knew I wasn't going to get the 600 plus points. That was just, that was not in my I mean, the points for, for medicine are ridiculous though. That's, ridiculous. There's, you, you could be like fully like the best per- person to be a doctor, but obviously those points are, are just a massive obstacle well obstacle I mean they're there for a reason but it, like it's it's massive ask of of getting that like especially if you had been going through all of that stuff as well it's funny because like I've learned a whole new vocabulary from being in hospital and as well like bedside manner of like actually how to deal with people mm-hmm. it's actually taught me a lot about how to deal with people in the real world outside of a hospital setting as well and the patience I have learned god forgive me <laughs> but anyway um, um so I I got my points didn't get into journalism but one thing that really pushed me through like there was days when I physically could not get out of bed so a little bit of backstory I woke up one morning when I was 13 and my spine had twisted around the other side of my body in some kind of complete abnormal growth spurt that the doctors just don't know what happened um just parts of me decided to grow and others didn't and so I was mm-hmm. left with this absolute deformity like my my shoulder was up here my hip was elevated my whole my whole body was just like twisted forward and I looked like something out of like a horror story and from the age of 13 right up until 23 I was having a series of like extremely invasive difficult shitty surgeries and not with the aim of making me straighter but to actually stop my spine from pulling me down and eventually crushing my organs Um, so that like, and each, each time I had one of those surgeries, like you have to learn how to walk again, how to go to the toilet again. You have to learn like basic care, how to like take care of yourself again. And like to be an adolescent when you're going through a time where you're supposed to be like self-exploration and figuring out who you are, but then you have to get your mom to come in and help you shower because you physically can't touch parts of your body or you can't bend. So that whole that whole period of my life was so overwhelming and so many different like learning curves for me. Um, I'm probably going off tangent, but <laughs> no, it's I mean it's but, all part of it's all part of the story because it's so funny, like when you're explaining everything like this, you know when you're an adolescent and when you're 13, 14, 15, you know, that's the time when especially in Irish society and like pretty much so many other countries as well that emphasis is placed on you know what is it that you want to be in your career path and stuff like that but I mean Neve, you had so many other things to be concerned about and I think especially in these times you know everybody is considering different things now because of what's happened in the world you know so many people are thinking about what's actually important and you almost had like a really early glimpse into this because I mean to be honest with you if I was going through something like this like I wouldn't I wouldn't care necessarily about journalism or anything like that because it's about your health and it's about kind of getting through that. It's more important, you know? It's like it's it's about perspective. And I I really struggled with like friendship when I was a teenager and even into my early twenties, like really trying to like build those long lasting life friendships because I just couldn't connect with people who were my age because they just couldn't understand what it was I was going through. They didn't have the same emotional capabilities that I had. They didn't They didn't have the same sense of awareness that I had for my body or myself, sense of being. They, they were just on a different level. They were worried about going to spin disco and barcode. I do yeah. regret not being able to go. But you it, literally you know I mean? didn't miss anything. It was awful. 
I know, I've been to Barcelona a few times. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have the same, yeah. I didn't have the same experiences that they had, making up for now, mind, but it just, it, it didn't help. I feel like it didn't help my overall, de- like, development into, like, the person I am today. Or maybe it did. Maybe that's the point of it, that it, it helped shape me who I am today. But the biggest factor for me when I was going through all this, because bearing in mind when you're having surgery on your spine, it's not like your arm or your leg where, you know, you just can't use it for a little while. It affects your entire body. You're sitting down, you're standing, everything. I was extremely sporty when I was a kid. I was that kid, you know, into I played everything, swimming, dancing, horse riding, camogie, you name it. So when I, of course, had to have these operations, the doctors were like, that's it, your sporting career is over. And that killed me because, I mean, I I was so competitive and like aspirational and horse riding is like one of my biggest passions in life. And and to hear a doctor tell you when you're 13 that, sorry, your dreams are actually over was just so crushing, even thinking back now. But I I suppose I turned to riding as as a form of escape, meditation, as a way of like self-healing. And it started, I suppose, with like, diary entries and like I still have all the, the journals at home and it's it's so nice to pick them out every now and then and just remind yourself of like where you've come from and then I eventually um I plucked up the courage one day when I was I think I had just turned 15 and I was obsessed with Kiss magazine and I would get it ah, the comeback of Kiss now <laughs> as well it's back full circle me full circle <laughs> um I was obsessed with it. So I emailed um, Vicky, what's Vicky's second name? Nataro. Vicky Nataro, mm-hmm. gorgeous Vicky. I emailed yeah. her and I sent I, I sent her like a spiel about what I was going through. And she wrote me back the most gorgeous email saying that she thought I was talented and that she thinks I should maybe consider a career in writing. And at this point, I was like, oh you can you can do this for a living um and kiss very graciously gave me a two-page spread when I was 15 so that's still at home on the wall um but it was that. That I, yeah well it was then that I realized that maybe it was something that I could pursue and so um as time went on I, I was still wanting to to be a doctor and I think in the back of my mind that was kind of just pushing me to continue studying to like yeah. keep me motivated I, I kind of knew I was never going to go down that route especially like having had like 10 years already of like intense hospital visits and those kind of like negative emotions attached to hospitals. So I put down journalism on my um, the CAO and lo and behold, I got it. So I, I spent five years in all in DIT studying journalism. I did it through Irish for two years, which as painstaking as that may sound, I really did enjoy it. It was wow. really tough, but I, I did have to drop the, the language uh, towards the end because it was just getting a bit too intense for me. Um, but it was it was genuinely one of the most like rewarding um, experiences of, of my life. And it just, it taught me just so much. And I mean, the lectures are, are just, I can't speak highly of them enough. Um, but college was also very trivial for me in that when I left school I thought I left behind a lot of like my health issues and I was like great college is when I you know really start to kick into life and experience life at its fullest and so on um but that just wasn't the case and I continued to have more health issues and 
I just felt like that it was constantly putting my life on hold. Um, it was it was almost like every time I stepped over the wall, another wall double the height would appear. Yeah. And it just became to the point like unbearable, unbearable. Use your yeah. words, English. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just it was so tough and draining. Um, but the one constant I suppose was that I was writing, and I was just I wasn't writing to show anybody or to share it with the world. I was writing for me. Um, and I eventually put that then into a blog. And it's funny because when I was in college, blogs were so new, and we even had a like we even had a module to build a blog and <laughs> I took a module I, like that as well in DCU and I was just like what is this it's like the back then I think and like you're you're younger than me but back then it was blogs are kind of like what the the podcasting is yeah. now do you know yeah. what I mean like 10 yeah. years ago it was like if you have a blog that's that's how you're gonna kind of progress yeah. your career yeah so all my lectures at the time were like listen, you just need to get yourself out there, get a blog. So of course I did. And um, that kind of took off for a bit because I suppose I kind of got into that vortex just as it was taking off. It was never something that I wanted to pursue, but like um, it was part of college and like I got a kick out of it. But the biggest thing for me was like the the people and the community and the sense of belonging that I found out of it. Um, And a lot of people that I I met through uh, blogging, which... I suppose in itself turned into Instagram and stuff like that. Um, there are people that I genuinely know in real life and, and have in my life. And, and that's been a real sense of comfort that I've been able to get something out of that. Um, and I suppose um, when I was in college, again, I had to, I had to take a year out um, for various reasons, uh, mainly due to my health. And, um, but I also had to, you know, pay for college and get on with life so I started to freelance and I didn't know how um I didn't know where to begin so I just started asking um you know people that I admired and looked up to and uh, at the time I suppose like photography was like another really big thing so I was told get a camera start taking photos start you know doing more blogs writing about this and that so I I took their advice and and I did and I just I tried to find a writing style that suited me and bear in mind, I'm still trying to find that style. And I, I don't think, I think it's something that I will, you know, grow with over time. Um, yeah. But I, I really loved like experimenting with the different types of, of writing and, and reading and just like completely immersing myself in a brand new world for the first time. Um, and it was, it, even now, like I'm, this is an ongoing journey. Yeah. And I don't think it'll ever come to like a finishing point. But isn't that the most exciting thing about Absolutely. journalism and writing? being creative that every day you can literally learn something new and it's 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 constantly progressing and growing and you always have the opportunity then to share your wisdom with other people and it's just it's a it's a lovely like industry to be in it's tough but it's lovely yeah but you said like very early on in the conversation you said that you were a journalist and a storyteller first and foremost and I think that that's a really interesting thing to kind of you know, keep as as a part of the identity, because I know for myself as well, I'm constantly still and I'm like, you know, 11, 12 years in the industry now evolving. And like that, just I'll never stop reading because I find that, you know, whatever style you have, it's always 
such a great learning experience to look at what other people in your industry are doing in terms of work. And I feel like, you know, I found it so interesting at the beginning as well, when you said that you still don't consider yourself to have a career, because I just think of all the people that I would follow, I feel like you have such a sense of yourself in terms of your identity. And I feel like this is in large part to do with, you know, your love of fashion. So I just wanted to kind of bring that in and ask you about that, you know, when it came to blogging and photography and stuff like that earlier on in your career, I mean, was the love for fashion there from the get-go? And was that kind of the, the catalyst for you in terms of like finding your own style? Me and fashion have a very turbulent relationship. So, really? Oh, I just love your sense of style. Like, I have to get that out there. Like, honestly, you wear the clothes that I wear in my dreams, that I would never <laughs> feel confident enough or have the wherewithal to wear, if that makes sense. I just can't do it. Thank you. Um, and that's just incredible to hear because, like, for so many years, like, I just, I just couldn't get to grips with what was happening with my body like can you imagine can you imagine not having any say over you literally wake up one morning and you are in somebody else's body and you want to you want to be able to look you want to blend in when you're 13 years old and you don't have a clue what's going on in your head with your body boobs are appearing boobs are not appearing you know you're looking to your peer groups and you're saying they're all developing what's wrong with me you're nitpicking at every little thing you turn to fashion almost as a way to camouflage yourself in or at least that's what that's what I wanted to do um I remember vividly when I when I had had my first major operation um they tried to put well I was supposed to have this routine surgery to put two titanium rods on each side of my spine to kind of just hold me up straight yeah um but when they put the second one in um they hit my spinal cord and I was paralyzed um and it was genuinely like touch and go and I, I it's strange because like I can still remember waking up from that surgery and having the five needles in my hands and the the tube in my throat and the tubes up my nose and thinking like how how am I going to get myself through this um but after that surgery they put your body they put your torso into a plaster Paris body cast to allow the bones to fuse to the titanium rods and can you just picture like being a 13 year old adolescent going through puberty walking down the street with a body cast on and not being able to wear clothes because the cast is too big and you are literally a thumb you are standing out so much when all you want to do is just blend into the background and I remember my mom having to bring me into Dunn's to get me like women's size 10 and 12 t-shirts to put over the cast because it was just so large and confronting. And as you can see, like I'm quite petite and Mm. I just, I just never felt beautiful or never felt like my body deserved any love. And I didn't, I didn't show it love for a very long time. And I was so ashamed of like my shape that I turned to fashion as a way to like hide it. Like it was my armor. Mm. It It was my tool to show the world that I was just as normal as the next person. Um, and I, and I owe like a lifetime of thanks to like my mom because my mom is a dressmaker by trade. So 
all of my clothes are altered. There is probably not yeah. a stitch of clothing unless I'm wearing like a Homer Simpson muumuu like I'm wearing now. There's not a stitch that hasn't been cut or nipped and tucked somewhere. Um, that's a whole topic that we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> um, but I really did turn to fashion as a way to, at the beginning, to hide myself away. Mm. And the more I started to play around with different shapes and how how things sat on my body, how I could almost morph myself into a brand new shape and, and therefore just instill more confidence in myself. I just really got more motivation. To, it just it just gave me like this sense of like joy, like absolute yeah. joy. And when I really felt ap- just absolute crap, I mean, there was days when like, I just couldn't even look at myself, let alone come to terms with what was happening and you know every time you go into hospital you are willingly giving yourself over to this team who are cutting and pulling and plucking and putting things in and taking things out and literally like destroying this thing but each time it healed and it made me better and as time went on and I I I got older and I matured I realized what a powerful thing our bodies are and to kind of show it a bit more love and I suppose I do that now through my clothes I try and just bring joy to it as opposed to trying to hide it. Um, and I do that with colour and I, I love colour, even though I'm kind of, I think I'm wearing navy today. I don't, well, most of my clothes are in London at the minute. Um, but I just really found love with wearing explosive colour and just being happy with it and trying new things and not being afraid to like do something that isn't the ordinary and walk down the street with your hair, your head held high, which it's a tough thing to do. It's it's not easy to yeah. to be okay in your own skin. But I'm I'm actually I'm really grateful that at twenty almost twenty seven I can say that like I am comfortable in my own skin and I can walk down any street proud to to have the body that I have now. But it has taken a long time to yeah. get to that point. Yeah, it it has taken a while. It's funny that you mentioned like the color there because I think it was the color. I think it was the pops of color that kind of like drew me to you in the first instance like when I started following you but you mentioned there about like kind of progressing you know through college and obviously you were still going through like a huge amount uh, an incomprehensible amount when it came to like your own health and stuff like that so I mean kind of early 20s freelancing was there a moment that clicked for you that you were like yeah, this, this is going to be the career that I'm in. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to continue on. Cause I know that like when you were 23, you had another massive incomprehensible health issue that like you've written, you've written about and I've, I've read the pieces that you've written about it and like so powerful. Um, but like you said earlier, which I thought was so insightful, you know, you get over a wall and then there's another wall there and it's just a little bit higher and you have to get over that wall. And it, it really does feel like you've been through so many of those obstacles, you know, for, for somebody so young. But at the same time, I have, I have had so many doors open. Like I remember I handed my thesis in in final year on a, on a Tuesday, I think it was. And by Friday, I had landed my dream job. At the time, what was my dream job? I got, I got um, a job with Image Magazine as a writer. I mean, mm. it's unheard of to walk it out. It is, of yeah, that is the dream job for like, for dream. someone studying journalism. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I just felt on top of the world. And I remember I started the job in, um, I think it was like March, literally when I handed in my thesis and I, I started the job straight away. And it was just, oh, I, from the team to the, 
what I was doing at the time I was just like this is it like I'm just loving every single bloody day of this um and I've always like followed loads of writers and um even before when I was freelancing I used to take myself over to fashion weeks and be like surrounded by all of these amazing writers and editors and stylists and photographers and it's like oh my god I just really want to be part of this world and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that bloody happen and image was like the perfect launch pad for that and I learned so much um and it just gave me great confidence to be able to even just push myself a bit further um but you're, you're right I it, I had a very turbulent start to my job as well um because when I had started an image in March I think it was and um on June 4th my brother arrived to to my job and I was like, oh, this is so bizarre. What's my brother doing at my work? I didn't even tell him where the office was. Um, and he was there to tell me that my brother had unfortunately um, died of an overdose. And I just will never forget the scream that I let out. And to be new in an office, but to be young and to be new in an office. And I was, I was mortified, but at the same time, like all my brain space was trying to yeah. be present in, in what was happening and it was just so surreal you know I just remember my bosses just gathering all my things and, and getting me out into the car and not even just don't worry and just go and it yeah. was it was such it was such a I can't even now I'm, I'm struggling to put it into words and Matthew will be um will be four years dead this year I think um but and I brought him up because just to go back on your point of, of storytelling and one of the things that I'm most proud, even though I'm in the fashion world now, like one of the things that I, I'm most proud as a journalist was to be able to speak to my brother Matthew before he passed away. And um yeah. I I did a radio documentary with him. Um but I didn't heard tell it. Me. I listened to it. Oh thank you. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't tell anybody about it. Mm. I just kind of like in secrecy me and him were meeting up in the DIT uh, recording studios and just talking and um I I only told my parents and my family about it um the night before his funeral so I I just said do you want to do you want to hear Matthew's voice one more time and 20 of us sat in this tiny little kitchen together and we all just listened and cried and and to me that's something I can never replicate something as powerful as that. And I always look back on it every now and then and and just remind myself, I mean, there's so many powerful things you can do as, as a journalist or as a creator in general. Yeah. Um, so I, I just always remember that being like a very big turning point for me as well, knowing that you have the power to just make something memorable and lasting but also something that can spark conversation and positive change in society as well, because I've had so many incredible conversations and opportunities about the penal system in Ireland, about drug use, um, about rehabilitation centres. And you just, you find where those holes in society are. And especially as a journalist, I think it's our duty to fill those holes and unpack them with information and, and truth and try and bring all of that to the surface and I, I guess it goes back to the point of being a storyteller and fashion is is one big facet of my life 
it's not the be all and end all. It's something that like I'm so passionate about. It's it's part of my being, but there's also that wider spectrum of like wanting to to do good and use your voice and your platform for positive change. When you like when you go through something like that, which is which is so like I'm so glad that you brought it up and I'm so glad that you you wanted to talk about it because it is one of those things that I find like as a journalist myself, I try and put myself in in somebody else's shoes. And, you know, like I have a brother and it's just me and him. And I, I can't really ever understand what that would have been like to go through something like that. Um, when you've kind of, it's not even fair to say come out the other side of it, but when you kind of have to go back to real life, when you kind of have to go back to, you know, making money and going back to a job and stuff like that I mean how how was that for you like how was that moment when you kind of had to go okay well today is the day that I have to go back and you you never don't think about it but like how was that kind of first day back in the real world like I actually I went back to work remarkably quick because um my parents probably pushed me because we're just not the type of people to sit around and mope and we've been through so much together that we know that you know, that collective energy of negative thoughts doesn't promote yeah. anything positive. You need to kind of just get back on the bloody horse. And I think it was two weeks after he passed that I actually went back, um, which which seems like a, a really short time. But for me, that was that was part of my healing process. It took obviously my parents much longer, but I mean, I carry Matthew with me every day. I wear I wear his ring on a necklace that was given to me by by a friend and. It's never, uh, anybody that goes through a death, there's never like a final point of it. You do yeah. carry it through, but it comes and goes at different points and you see different things throughout your your day or your life that will remind you of that person. And it's, it's just a bit of a glimmer of hope and just a little reminder that they might be there somewhere. You might not be able to see them, but I did go back quite quickly. Um, and as well, I was young and I just kind of wanted to, go with the energy that I had saying yeah. this as an 85 year old woman now <laughs> but I just, just wanted to to go back with it and um I yeah the whole summer was ahead of me and I was just excited and and my work at the time were so accommodating and mm. I found that work was was the escape that I needed and um it allowed me to just express myself and I wrote about it when I was ready to and, and even yeah. now there's, there's things that I want to talk about but I'm not quite there yet and mm. um it was it, of course like it was difficult and like 2015 as a as a 20 when I write my book 2015 will be dedicated to probably more than one chapter because it was just an absolute shit show of a year yeah. <laughs> it was just it taught me so much and genuinely when I'm having a bad day I think back to 2015 and I say if I can survive that year I can survive this day or I can survive this Zoom meeting or whatever is going on in my life. Um, it was just, and and that's the thing, like it puts it into perspective. And yeah. I feel like sometimes when I come across an issue, be it in work or with my friends or relationships or whatever, it's almost like I feel I just have a whole different perspective, a whole like, it's like putting on a different pair of glasses to see a situation because when you are literally on your deathbed or you are, you know, you've been knocked for 10 and you just, 
you just see things differently. You feel things differently. You, mm. you approach things in a brand new light. Maybe it's because you know that it could have all been taken away from you or I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I'm still learning how to, how to deal with, with everything. And, you know, things don't just stop. Like your health doesn't just, okay, you're grand now. For some people it does, or, you know, the pain of losing somebody just doesn't stop. But it's, it's all part of like an ongoing process. And that process isn't linear, by the way. There's yeah. some days when you are so low that you just don't want to get out of bed and that's okay. And then there's other days where you're on a high and you feel like you can take on the absolute world. And I'm still trying to like find that balance as well. Um, yeah. I'll let you know how I get on in the next <laughs> year. <laughs> I think, no, it's so true. And I think the the perspective aspect of it I know we've kind of brought it up a couple of times during this conversation but it's so true and I think so many more people are identifying with that now because of this global pandemic that everybody is is going through but I I found it really interesting when you said there about kind of going into your role and image because you said you said like the dream job at the time and I just kind of wanted to pick up on that because when that, I feel like in journalism, maybe more so than other industries, but I feel like every industry is like that. You know, when you say like, that's it, if I get that job, I'm going to be happy with that and my whole life will be done and I'll never have to do anything and I'll never change and that'll be it forever. And then literally you get there and then you're like, right, on to the next. What's, what's that next thing? Where, where was that for you? Like, did you get itchy feet or, cause I know you kind of progressed through image and you became a digital leader and, and it was, um, it was a great kind of gig and it felt like it really fit for you. But was there a moment when you were like, right, what's, what's the next thing that I can do for me? Yeah. Um, I, it's funny. I just got like this absolute like throwback of I don't know if it was the same for you but every Sunday after mass I was treated to a magazine and oh. once now this was to get me to mass uh, and this was when I was younger under the age of 10 I would say but maybe once in a blue moon I was allowed to get a Vogue magazine because they were so expensive and also you they were yeah you couldn't buy them in your local shop um so but going from image um you're right. I, I was in a really good place and I had the most incredible mentor, Marie Kelly. She's just, mm. she's just, I, I'm indebted to her for, for what she's done, done for me. Um, and I was loving the podcast and it was just so much opportunity, but, um, towards the end of the summer in 2015, I, I got really sick and I was diagnosed with cancer and I just felt like I just needed to put everything on hold and live yeah and not be a slave to my laptop or my phone and just live my life for a little while mm. um so I underwent treatment and stuff and I decided then in the December that I was going to, um, oh, sorry, it wasn't the December of 2015. It was the December after um, that I would um, quit my job and go traveling. <laughs> and that's what I did. I, it was, sorry, it wasn't 2015. I'm getting my years mixed up. Um, I quit Image in 
2017 or 18 but anyway yeah. I, I went traveling and I lived my best life on a beach in Indonesia for three months and yeah. I let myself just heal and but and this was me- after the treatment and everything wasn't it this was like after the treatment and yeah. it was something that I really like really had to reconsider I mean my parents they were like you have a good job. Why would you walk away from that? You're mm. you're in there. You're you have your foot in the door and all of these. Oh, it was just I felt like I was letting them down as well as me, but they couldn't understand from my point that I just needed I needed to refocus and recenter and rebalance everything and kind of like readjust my goals as well. Like journalism yeah. is a really tough gig like for anyone. Um it's non-stop as well. You feel like if you stop for a second that you will miss those little opportunities that are coming constantly, you know? Yeah. Like I'm trying to stay relevant and it is doing my head in because like, do, do I just do things for the sake of it just so people see it? Or mm. do I, do I just not put everything I do on the internet and just put my heart and soul into something and let it come to fruition? And when it's ready, then I can put it up and all these things going through your head and it just it must be so frustrating and I'm sure everybody who's in this circle or even in like the blog world or the Instagram world will feel the relevancy of this as well um but I just I just need a reset yeah and but for anybody in that situation of do I leave a job or do I stay and do I be a bit unhappy (laughs) leave the job go Go. take the holiday (laughs) Yeah, go. <laughs> no, it it was a really tough decision to make. Um, I but I knew I was gonna go because I had saved up all all my savings and, um, I just knew in my heart as well that I needed bigger. I yeah. I I was being influenced by loads of writers that I follow in the US and the UK and every season when I would go over to London or Italy for Fashion Month, I just felt like I was missing out. I yeah. felt like I felt like I had more to offer than what was in Ireland maybe at the time. Um and I mean that from like an international level in that I wanted to be immersed in, in the fashion world whereas yeah. for all of the amazing talent and designers we have here we just don't have the infrastructure I know a lot of stylists and and people in the fashion world here in Ireland and it is a very small tight-knit and a lovely community I I love now I'm outsider I'm not an insider of the fashion community but I do know a lot of them and what you said about the infrastructure is so fair and so true so you kind of just you wanted you wanted a little bit bigger it's so funny that you call yourself an outsider because genuinely I see myself as an outsider. I don't see myself as part of that fashion circle or sometimes really? as part of the media circle. I just feel like I'm I'm not in it. I want to be in it, but I'm just not there yet. It's so that's you're definitely you're definitely more in the fashion one than I am. Anyway, the closest I am is that I know Courtney Smith from when we were kids. But other than that, like I am out. I am not in it at all. Um no, I, I just, I wanted, I'm at, I'm at the point in my life where all I want to do is learn and be really good at something and be better than other people at it. And I felt, I, I just, I knew that I could do that in the UK. And it's not that I, it's not that I couldn't do it here. I mean, I've so many incredible mentors around me, but I really just craved that like international level, like learning from other publishers that like I've read for years and really admire and, and taking like the differences between Irish media and UK or American and and just just learning 
Yeah. And so the only way that I was going to to do that is if I just planted myself into it. Um, but it really wasn't a case of, oh, just apply. And there you go, live in London now. Like, I think I have applied to work in Vogue, embarrassingly, probably 50 times. I mean, the- honestly, though, like that's like... Working for Vogue, I feel like it's one of those things whenever I've spoken to anybody who has worked kind of internationally, getting into a, a corporation like that is is what I think would be so interesting for our audience to understand. So when you say that you've applied that many times, that doesn't surprise me because it's it's a hard gig to get like it was like, honestly, I, I really did apply so many times. And the thing with those big corporations is you don't get like a polite email back saying oh I'm sorry you didn't get it this time in fact you don't get an email back at all it's it feels like a look of the draw most of the time um and I think I must have started applying when I was like first or second year in college for various different things and I just when I when I went away and I had time to like think and just kind of reevaluate what my next step was and what I wanted to actually get out of what I was doing just the right opportunity came up and I, I applied and I heard nothing, <laughs> nothing. So um, it was it was a really, really, really long process. And I came back from traveling and I had completely forgotten about any kind of Vogue lark. And I set my mind into trying to get back on the bandwagon over here. And mm. I came back at a time when, unfortunately, they're just there wasn't a job to be had. I could not get work for love nor money. And I felt so low. And I reached out to all the people that I I knew to try and like get a lead or, you know, just a bit of help. And, and you know, the people that I reached out to were so supportive. But unfortunately, they're just there. There is no growth in the, the fashion world over here. There's, there's not a whole lot of room for yeah. for jumping in. I mean, the roles are so small. The publications are so tiny that when people get these coveted roles, they're there for a while. So I went freelance again and it was, it was tough. It was, I I worked, anybody that works freelance knows it's never a nine to five. It's a bloody 18 hour day, seven days a week, because you just don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. And I was doing everything from, from writing to video production to you name it, just Mm. to, just to get by and pay rent and do all that but then I saw another job opportunity in Vogue and I said oh feck it I've literally nothing to lose at this point can't get a job here so might as well try over there and I eventually I got the call and I they said would you like to come over for an interview and I said I'm already there (laughs) it was um it, it was it was crazy it was an intense time what was the feeling like just describe to me the feeling when you were offered the role in British Vogue. Like, what was that? What was that afternoon I, like? And what did you do straight afterwards? Oh God, I was really. It's funny because I was in such a dark place that day, that, that specific day. I was having a nightmare, and I was standing outside an office building on the keys on Wokey, somewhere near the Hapney Bridge. Got the call and instantly I rang my mom and the two of us just cried and it was just I just knew that that was the opportunity that I needed for a fresh start and just to leave all 
everything that had happened, just leave it behind and go and start new. And that's really what I needed at that point in my life. Yeah. Um, so went and got the bottle of champagne. Um, but it was, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it was, it was, it was so quick though, because I needed to be in London in the following week. So in, in that space, I literally just had to pack up my life, find somewhere to live, do all that like shitty life admin stuff. Yeah. Um, and and leave and I didn't read I I told my nearest and dearest and then just kind of went <laughs> yeah <See you> later. <laughs> um but it's it's been the most incredible experience I mean London for anybody who's been there or lived there or just visited it's just such a city of buzz and culture and just a melting pot of brilliance and it's just so exciting and every like it's just it's a great place to be and it's for I will say, though, a lot of people will say, oh, London is very cold and it's very big and the people are this and the people are that. I have only had positive experiences. But there, of course, there there are days when it feels like, yeah, you're in a really big place and you are a tiny, tiny little speck. Um, mm. But you find your tribe and I'm very much still finding mine. I mean, yeah. I was friendless for the first eight months. Um, so it's it's definitely difficult and then like you're in you're in a brand new place you are the new person you don't know anybody so it's it's starting from scratch again so um that's been really tough and the thing is nobody gives you a manual to tell you how to make friends in your 20s like you've already done that in your teens and now you have to do it again and it's, yeah. it's really hard because you have to make that it's like you have to go on like dates but like to make friends again if that makes sense <laughs> it does like, it really does you have to do all the like small talk and like when you find people that you click with it's easy obviously but like there's been times where you're like oh my god get me away from this person yeah. <laughs> I don't know it's it's been it's been great um but London is is big and tough um but there's just so much opportunity um or at least I hope there will be when this is all over. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. And one of the reasons like why I wanted to talk to you as well today is it was the post that you put up on your Instagram and it was such a lovely picture that you posted. And it was the picture, I think it was you and your apartment on the first day of being in London. And, but you were writing it from a place of admitting that like, this is not where I am right now and I'm not in the best place right now. And I think it's important to note for people who are listening to this, for people who are kind of maybe trying to get into an, an industry like this or a media uh, kind of job, I hope that they do hear and understand that like it is a roller coaster and you're getting on it and you're getting off it and it's like terribly difficult work. And then Neve, honestly, like when you think about the the things that you've been through in your personal life, as well as the health issues that you've had as well, it is a true testament. And like, I don't know, you know, if this will mean anything to you, but you have firmly have a career that is incredibly inspiring for so many people. And I think that, you know, the message that you give off is one of reality as well and I think that's so crucial so you're not like hi I'm living the devil wears Prada lifestyle you're like I've been working for years to live this life and also you you don't think you've made it which I think is such a really humbling thing to kind of hear from somebody who you know I mean for all intents and purposes for a lot of people you have made it so it's it's a really nice kind of thing to look at you know, where you've so come good. from and, like, and everything you do. Like, honestly, I just wanted to kind of say that without sounding too fangirly. No, but I, like, no such I, a fan. I, I get it. It's like sometimes, sometimes I do have pinch me moments where I'm like, oh my God, I work 
here or like you know you yeah. just have those moments where you're like I can't believe I you know I'm living independently in London and I have this great job and whatever um but then it comes back to reality and and you do have those those moments especially now um where we're so confined and so like restricted that you just don't feel good enough or your brain's not working at the maximum capacity that it's normally at or you haven't been able to run a certain amount of miles and like I am the worst like I'm my biggest critic and that's why when I I live by the mantra of fake it till you make it because I just feel like imposter syndrome every single day but there are moments where I'm like no I absolutely worked to get to this point and I grafted and I'm still going to be grafting for the next 10 years if it means that I get to the even bigger goal don't know what that is yet but I'll figure it out um yeah but it, it yeah I think um well as well my parents would never let me get big-headed they'd be like it's far from avocados you were raised or you know if I'm sending them pictures of my fancy London brunch on a Saturday <laughs> um but they, they'll always keep me grounded let me tell you yeah and <laughs> um, I guess it's important though to just like just take a moment and kind of yeah. like relish it and like everybody was telling me to like enjoy the moment and which is, is hard as well because you're trying to be focused on like you know creating the next Pulitzer Prize piece of writing and like of award-winning documentaries and it can be it can be so like all-consuming and energy sucking but sometimes you just do have to sit and be like oh that's okay I managed to to do a couple of tasks today it didn't you know save the world but yeah yeah I think um I read I read the piece that you wrote about in image and it was kind of the life after cancer piece. And there was like the three things that kind of really jumped out at me was that um, you got rid of toxic friends, you got strong and you ate cake. And I just (laughs) I loved that because I was like, that's a philosophy, man. Like, that's honestly like get strong, get rid of toxic shit and eat some fucking cake. Like I, I read that and I was like, Hmm, I felt cause I had an energy sapping week, do you know, like sometimes it's yeah, a very good too. way to describe the industry that we work in. Like, cause it's, there's a huge reward from it, but it really does take a lot of energy as well. And some days more so than others. So like, I don't, I don't want to ask you, you know, what's next or what's coming up in the future, but I suppose, you know, I think when we talk about things that can be difficult sometimes and when we go through things that have like struggles attached to them, what I've been trying to do when I'm talking to people is get that note of positivity and kind of end on things that give joy to people. So like, do you have things that you've been consuming during lockdown, like any podcasts or books or magazines? You can do like your plugs here for Vogue and stuff like that, that have been giving you life. I have to tell you one, which I'm giving as a recommendation. It's the new, I don't know if you've listened to it, but it's the new Louis Theroux podcast. And I haven't listened to it yet, but it's on my list. So one episode in particular, which you will love, is the episode with Helena Bonham Carter. And I just, I consumed it and I just didn't want to, I just was like, oh, it just gave me life. Like it really did. So that would be my recommendation. But yeah, are you kind of anything that's giving you joy at the moment? Because it's a tough time for everybody. Two things. I'm going to say okay. of them. Hang on. Here's one I prepared oh, earlier. This is so funny and so, so not planned. I'm so excited. So I've been, um, I don't <gasps> know, it, but I've been cross-stitching. So I'm doing it. I'm doing a creative swap with a gal that I really connected with in London and we met through through work and she's just, she's a breath of fresh air. And so she makes jewelry and I'm, I'm 
doing this cross stitching wow so that's because I mean I work on a screen like all the time like I literally have a big iMac this and two phones and I'm just like screens everywhere so for me switching off is like going analog um I play the fiddle so it's just behind me there so that's what I do to to like de-stress and I come from a really musical family so um I have the window open here in in East Wall and I play the fiddle for for all the people below I'm only joking um (laughs) I was was close to you I'm gonna go down and get a fiddle concert please (laughs) yeah I play music a lot and I just try and do things with my hands because um I just I love working with my hands and I feel like it's especially when you're type 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 all day you kind of forget it's like handwriting if you don't practice it you're gonna lose it and I just really want to be able to like make something and um music is such a massive part of my life that it's it's kind of the dark side that nobody really knows about but um chances are if we weren't in lockdown you'd find me in several Irish pubs playing sessions probably seven nights a week um and that's another thing that has been incredible the the Irish music community over in London is just it's so warm and welcoming and I have met all walks of life just by having a fiddle on my back and it's it's something that I am just intrinsically proud of as an Irish person I'm sorry to get all like nationalistic here but it's no I love that I played the flute when I was younger I was in trad groups my entire uh childhood as well I played the Kaylee drums and the baron and everything so yeah and I'm I'm mad into it love it I'll still wear a Sandro suit even if I'm in the cobblestone I mean I don't have to I don't have to look like you know an old farmer just because I play the fiddle um so yeah it's I, I loved in that and I think if if I was back in London I'd probably be paying, playing dress up a bit more um because when I when I came over here because I'm obviously high risk so I just kind of yeah. got out of there as fast as I could when lockdown happened so I just packed yes. like an overnight bag thinking that I'd be back there in two weeks so I literally have I'm I'm actually wearing most of Jake's clothes my my boyfriend at the minute this yeah. dress is obviously not his um, <laughs> So it's, yeah, but it's been really nice to just like turn yeah. off uh, when I do get those gold moments to just like completely switch, pull the plug. Yeah. Well, Neve, it's, I've taken up so much of your time that I'm going to let you go. But honestly, like, I hope that you do write a book one day because I would read it. I think a lot of people would read it. I think your story is like you're 27, you know, like, I mean, you've got so much to come in your career, but I have to say like from an outsider looking in and following you like you know it's a lot to be proud of so far and I just can't honestly wait until I get to see you know what you do next and a lot of people are in the same boat as well so yeah I mean and also just so proud to have the same name as well you know (laughs) get that name Neve around London go to the trad spread it spread it I'll tell you something funny just before we go so it got to the point I think I was a month in London at this stage and I was so frustrated that like sounding like an idiot you know repeating my name over so now when I'm ordering coffee I just say my name is Joe and it's just it's easy when I was in America on my J1 it was Pam I was Pam in Starbucks I'm no word of a lie (laughs) I was was Pam (laughs) Joe and Pam absolutely I love that I bet other Neves would absolutely agree with that as well the Starbucks Neve name I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out on Twitter and see if we get any other people um Neve it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for taking the time and honestly I know that when we were speaking before you probably have more work to do so I am sorry for taking up so much of your time I've got to do a bit of scheduling myself as well so look I'm here as well and I'm working too but 
but um, an absolute pleasure and I can't wait until we can meet in real life one day and continue the chats but uh, thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure